0: Well, good morning. Man, we have been looking forward to this for a very long time. This time together has been, uh, we've been really preparing for this probably for almost like for two years, actually. I hope that you'll have your, uh, your booklets with you. You'll notice in your, in your bulletin, you don't have any sermon notes. That's because they're in this booklet. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be using this in our studies together to grow together. We're actually going to be on page 11, if you want to kind of count it out. Um, You'll see here in a minute. Um, So what we're going to ask you to do is we're asking you to take these home, look through them. Uh, We spent a lot of time preparing for this and and getting this all together, Um, but we're going to be going through it because we think it's really important for us in this time together to understand what does it mean to be Christian? What, What does that mean to you? What does it mean to be in church? Because different people have different ways of looking at that. What does it mean for you to be Christian in this day and time, in this generation? What does that mean for you? And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing really what I would call a deep dive. We're going to be looking at what does it mean to be a Christian? What does that mean for you? And so we're really going to be asking you to rethink life with Jesus. What is your life with Jesus like? If you were to describe that to me, how would you describe it? Would you maybe describe it as chaotic, fluid? Are you estranged? Um, Do you find it a little apathetic or do you find it energizing, right? How would you describe it? Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that uh, a family member or somebody that you know is coming in from out of town and you want to think it's a Sunday morning and you're trying to decide what to do. What are you going to do? Do you want to invite them to church or not? What are you inviting them into? What are you inviting a coworker, right? Because as Christians, right, you should be inviting people because you found something. You have found the great treasure. You have found the great pearl. You've found the banquet. So you're inviting people to experience what you do. But what is it that you're inviting them into? How do you see what we do here as a church? See, because I find that most people, if I were to ask them, tell me about your church, your church experience. This is probably what they would experience. They would say, well, we have a bunch of pews. And on Sunday, we go and we sit in them. And this, this goofy guy kind of gets up from time to time and he talks for a while and then we go home. That's church, right? Church is a place that we go. And so if a family member came in from out of town, you might say something like, hey, would you like to go see this building with me? And, and would you mind sitting with me for a little while? We'll just kind of sit there, and, and then when it's all over, we'll go home. And they're like, well, why do you do that? Why, why do you do that? And so, I don't know. That's what my parents did. That's what they told me I'm supposed to do. And you're kind of going through the motions. And so this morning, think about, are you just kind of here sitting and soaking in some spiritual atmosphere or... Are you called to something more? This is a challenge. You have to, you have to ask yourself, what are, what are we doing here? Are we sitting in our pews? Because here's the problem. The culture that is around us, when they look at what we do, this is what they see. They're kind of like going, I don't get this. I don't understand what you guys do. You kind of go once a week and you put in your time. You, you punch the clock and you say, God, I did my part. You got to do your part. And then the question is, is that really Christianity. Because that sounds uh, like I do this for a living, and I wouldn't want this. When I think about Christianity and I think about what Christ is calling us to do, this is what I see. I see this wild adventure. I see Jesus calling us to something beyond our experiences. I think that when He called His disciples and they left everything to follow Him, I think that's what He's inviting you to do. I think he's calling you to go places you never even possibly imagined. And so for the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna try and give you a different glimpse as to what the kingdom really is all about, what this really means. And so I'm gonna ask you to rethink your faith, not about just showing up and going through the motions, about occupying a pew for a period of time, but about a radical life change that will open up a whole new kingdom, something that we're gonna call the high country, God is calling you on this great experience to open up a new way of thinking. And so we've titled this, this this series and the little booklet you called, The Summit. You are called by God, you're called out of an ordinary culture into a new life that's going to challenge you in ways that you never imagined. The reason that most people don't like to do it is because it's more challenging than what they're ready for. It's calling you to a whole different lifestyle that requires a whole different set of skills, a whole different set of challenges. But in the process, you rise above the noise and confusion that everybody else lives in, and you see the world from a different perspective. And so I'm inviting you and I'm asking you whether you're ready to go into that deep place, into that new place that God is inviting to you. Are you more attracted by pews and hymns Or are you more attracted to the adventure of being a disciple? That's what we're challenging you. That's what we're asking for. That's what we're asking. So we started out by this idea of discipleship, this idea of being made for more, right? That's that's kind of where we've been gravitating toward. Do you feel in your heart of hearts that you are made for more than just punching a clock on on Monday morning? Are you made for more than just how much you have in the bank account? about how much insurance you have, about the state of the economy, do you feel that there's something speaking to you in the silence of your own heart when every, uh, late at night, when all of the other noises are, are out and you said, I just feel like my life was meant for more than this. Then I believe that you're ready for the summit. And that's where we're going to go. We're going to go on a deep dive today. I'm going to try and show you some of the challenges that you're going to face. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the challenges that you face on a regular basis and then how to get through them to go into a deeper place. Now, we put together this short video that I want to show you that gives you some glimpse of to what is possible for a church that is on fire for Christ.
1: We rock climbers are a different breed. All ages, all walks of life, we are compelled to climb, to tackle this journey together. With a relentless tenacity to climb up the impossible cliff faces, once we begin, there is no giving up. There is no escalator down, no easy way out. We are in it for the long haul. The journey to the top is full of problems and potentially fatal falls. Complete trust in the person holding the other end of the rope is vital to having a hold nothing back, go for the top mental state, allowing us to make bold moves when needed. This belayer must catch the climber when they fall, and we will fall. No one wants to fall, But during that moment, your strength gives out, you've lost your grip, and terror grabs a hold of your heart. That is when your fellow climbers are there to catch you, to help you back up, to look out for your safety. It's crucial that we put complete trust in each other's hands. The ability to work together as one unit will not only get us to the top, it keeps us alive. We are a community of individuals striving to share a common vision and passion to overcome gravity and reach the summit. We're in this together.
0: Now for me, this has always been sort of a radical difference in how we approach things. Right? For most of us, we've kind of seen Christianity and the church as kind of a, a passive kind of a stagnant thing that you kind of show up with when you have time and you kind of go through the motions. And yet I believe that what Jesus is calling us to do is to a wild adventure, this rock climbing, this going for the bold kingdom that he has prepared for us. You see, you were not saved as a disciple. When you made a a commitment to Christ, you were not made to just say, okay, I've accepted Christ and now I'm just waiting for death to take me. It's about learning and growing through the different stages, about learning about more of what God has in store for us. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what Jesus is inviting us to do. And I would be willing to bet at some point, at least my goal is, to challenge each and every one of you in some way to rethink what you're doing and why you're doing it. Now, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable. He always told parables. And he was in Jerusalem, and he was surrounded by a bunch of Jews, and they were challenging him, like, why are you doing all of this for these other people? And I believe that his parable to the Jews at that time is also speaking to those of us that are here this morning, that are members of Mount Pleasant, that have made a commitment to Christ, that believe that Christ has a role in our lives. And Jesus tells the parable of the fig tree. So listen to this parable. And then he told them this parable. He said, A man had a fig tree in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir," the man replied, "Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. This is the word of God for the people of God. So here's a question I want to ask you. Don't raise your hand. Don't make any open confessions. Are you a disciple? Are you really a disciple? And by that, I mean not your definitions, I mean his definition, because I believe that that's what Jesus is really asking the people that are gathered there. He's saying, are you a disciple? There's a couple of things about this parable that's kind of really strange. First of all, you find that he starts by saying that there's a fig tree that's planted in a vineyard. Now, what grows in a vineyard? Vines. So why is there a fig tree in a vineyard? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, throughout the story, Jesus tells parables, and the owner of the vineyard, in the, he tells a parable of the tenants, and he said a king created a vineyard, and he put a wall around it, and he put a wine press in it, and then he lent it to some tenants. And the parable is that God is the owner of the vineyard. God owns the vineyard. So in this parable, God is the owner of the vineyard, but there's a fig tree, and you wouldn't think a fig tree would be in a vineyard. But what he's trying to say is something from outside has been planted intentionally within my vineyard. Within my kingdom, you have been planted in my kingdom to grow, to thrive. God is watching over you and caring for you. He said, but there's something strange about this fig tree. For whatever reason, the fig tree is growing, but it's not producing any fruit. Just because you're in the kingdom, just because you're in the vineyard doesn't mean life is good for you. Just because you're a member of Mount Pleasant, because you showed up here this morning, that your, your ticket is punched. You're just waiting, right? Just because you're here this morning does not mean that you are a disciple. You haven't made that decision yet. Just because you stand in your garage at home doesn't mean you're a car, right? So the point is, is what, what Jesus is talking about here is he said this fig tree is growing but it's not producing any fruit. It's not doing what it was created to do. And so the owner of the vineyard comes back and said, listen, cut it down. If it's not gonna produce fruit, if it's not gonna live up to its nature, cut it down, get rid of it. And so that's that idea of judgment, of looking at our lives and saying, as disciples, are we bearing fruit? Are we growing? Are we thriving? Are we doing what we first set out to do when we first made that confession? Are we living up to what God has in store for us? Now, the landowner has somebody that's caring for the vineyard. Who's caring for the vineyard? Jesus. Jesus says, now, hang on. Give me one more year. Give me a little bit more time, and I'm going I'm to try and motivate the tree. I'm going I'm to prune around it. I'm going to stir up the roots a little bit. I'm going to shake the tree a little bit. I'm going to fertilize it. Maybe it needs some nourishment, some care, some tender care. Let us see. And if it begins to bear fruit, great. That's what we want. But if not, yes, then it will be cut down. Now, this is a challenge for all of us. The first thing that we want to understand is in a, the fig tree is in the vineyard. That the fig tree was created or put there to bear fruit. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, by your fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. Fig trees produce figs. Christians produce fruits of the Spirit, right? Are you, in your own life, in your own thoughts, are you bearing fruit, and if not, maybe this is the opportunity to stir up those roots to give you a little bit more nourishment, a little bit more fertilizer, because saying God is very clear, if you're just going to sit there and soak, it's time that we uproot and make room for others. We also find that Jesus is, it, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, he said, when somebody becomes a Christian, they become a brand new person on the inside. They're not the same anymore. New life has come. So there's this regeneration, this new life that begins to flow through you as you become a disciple of Jesus, as, he, as you become a follower of what he's calling you to do. And so we learn from this parable that faith produces fruitfulness. Jesus tells us, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, if you remain in me and I in you, you will, not that you should, that you could, you might, you ought to. He said, you will bear much fruit, because apart from me, you cannot do nothing. So if we put these two together, what Jesus is trying to tell us is, look at yourself, evaluate, are you bearing fruit? Because if you're not, then you're not part of the vine. If you're not, there's an opportunity to change and to begin to develop the fruitfulness of what God has in store for you, because apart from me, you will do nothing. We also learn that fruitfulness comes from maturity. We learn from people that know how to plant trees, from people that own orchards. You don't plant a tree and get fruit the same day. Oftentimes you have to plant a tree or even the seed and it takes years before that tree will bear fruit. It has to grow into maturity. This is key, this is gonna be critical later on. If we stop growing, we stop maturing, right? as, as a human being, your body will continue to age. It will age whether you want it to or not. And many of us would prefer that our bodies stop aging. But that's not possible. But we do know that emotionally and spiritually, we can regress. We can become passive. We can act childish. Have you ever known somebody that's a, an older adult? And you said, man, they act really childish, yeah, Greg raised his hand, uh, uh, yeah. We understand that, we, we know what that means. But we also know that fruit comes from maturity. And as a result, we know that age does not equal maturity. Just because you're growing older does not mean you're spiritually mature. In the parable, it tells us that for three years I've been coming to this tree and there is no fruit here. It is growing, it is, seems to be thriving, but it's not doing what it was created to do. And that's a challenge for all of us. Are we just putting in our time, just waiting for things to happen? Or are we learning how to grow more mature? Jesus says in John chapter 15, one of the the most, uh, one of the more important passages, he said, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So this becomes really important. This becomes central to who we are. Are we able as Christians, as disciples, as members together in this body of Christ, are we learning how to bear spiritual fruit? Are we just kind of going through the motions and just gathering on Sunday morning? Why is this important to us? Because Jesus tells us that's how I know who my disciples are. If they bear fruit, people will know. And what we wanna do, what our role is as a church is to nurture and develop and prune and to promote those people that are ready to grow fruitful. We recognize that in any orchard, you have trees that are in different stages of development. Some are just saplings. They're just beginning to take root. And we're some that are growing, but they're not quite there yet. They don't quite have the strength yet. And then we have some of those mature saints. You know who they are. People that you look at and you go, wow, that's what I want to be like when I grow up. They're bearing spiritual fruit in everything that they do. Jesus says, if you refuse to bear fruit. If you refuse to grow, in the parable, Jesus is saying, then cut them down. Throw them out. If they refuse to grow, then they don't belong to be in the the vineyard. So we're all about trying to figure out how we can become spiritually mature. So the second phase of that is to say, this is why it's important. And now I want to share a little bit about what are some of the things that are holding you back Why is it that we think we're always disciples? Of course we're disciples. That's why we're here this morning. But what are the things that are holding you back? What are the things that are in the back of your brain that are keeping you from really truly developing spiritually? And it's something that I want to talk about, about how we grow. Your body grows naturally, and your spirit grows as well. But you have to be more intentional about pursuing your own spiritual health. And so what's what we call age-appropriate spirituality See, this message today is going to hit some of, the, some of the, the, the more mature people and they're going to grasp onto it and they're going to say, I understand. And yet for, for some of the younger people are just not going to be able to quite get what we're talking about. And so I wanted to begin this morning in Ephesians chapter four, where Paul is talking about this development of us mentally and spiritually. He goes on to say, he said, so Christ himself gave apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people, that would be be all of us, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, all reaching unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what is our goal? What is your goal as a Christian, as a disciple? To become like Christ, to become the full measure, so that when people see you, they see Jesus. That's the goal. We're not all there yet, but we're in in progress. Then, when that happens, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every every wind of teaching, and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. We will no longer be tossed by what other people are saying, by the culture that is around us. We will be centered and focused. And isn't that really what you want for your life and for your children's life? To be able to discern what is right and wrong, what's best in the long term and not just the short term. So let's talk about how we grow spiritually spiritually. What is the first stage as you grow spiritually? It's called the childhood stage. The childhood stage. It's if, as children continue to grow, as they grow, it, it's all about me. Right? It's, it's, they tend to be self-absorbed. Children, as they grow, tend to be somewhat narcissistic. Right? I mean, they tell you what they need. I need this. I need that. And it's the way that they develop. They don't know how to see how their words impact other people. They only know what they need for themselves in that moment and in that time. And so they can't think beyond the moment, beyond that one single moment in their life, about what they need in that moment. Do you ever know people like that in your own experience? They're only in it for the moment. Maybe they leave church this morning and they said, you know, I didn't get much out of the service this morning. There's a reason for that, because you can't think beyond your own needs. These are people that want to come to church if they can sit in the same pew, if they can sing the same hymnal, if they can sit at the right time and we get out on time. If people greet them the way they want to, they think about their own needs and their own desires. They tend to be impatient, they tend to be short-term, and rather quite volatile, They tend to be emotionally fragile people. Whenever you gather together, they say, you know, how do people make me feel? They think about what's in it for them. What do you get out of church? What does it do for you on a daily basis? Do you like the music? Do you like the praise team? Do you like what they do for you? It's all about what you get out of it. They have a difficult time setting priorities, and oftentimes they let other people set priorities right? Well, other people's, we signed up, and, and for whatever reason, they, they scheduled all of our ball games on a Sunday, so I have to go. I have to do all of that because somebody else is setting my boundaries for me. They tend to be dependent. They become spiritual consumers. What did I get out of this, right? Pastor, I really don't want you to be talking about money, right? I don't like to hear that kind of stuff. I want to hear things that say, I'm okay, you're okay, just keep doing what you're doing, it's what we call in, in church life, simpleism. They live by the idea of living with easy, shallow answers. If I were to ask a child and say, tell me about your faith. Tell me about what Jesus is doing in your life. Tell me about who Jesus is. They would say something like this. They would say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's true at a very basic level. But what do you do when somebody in your family has cancer or dies suddenly? Does that simple, shallow answer help you to figure out who you really are? Oftentimes we find that children at this level are also get most of their spirituality out of Facebook, where they can keep a distance. They can look at Facebook and they have a lot of Facebook friends, they have a lot of acquaintances but they don't have a lot of depth. In Hebrews, Paul is writing in Hebrews, he said, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, when we have infants, and you, and you see infants coming in, and, and mothers are feeding them mother's milk, or, or from a bottle, or whatever, that seems natural. But when you're 40 and you're 50, and you're 60, and you're 70, and you're still taking a bottle, somebody's looking at you going, what's wrong with you? Have you not moved beyond the basics? Have you not moved beyond milk? Have you not learned how to digest true meat to wrestle with deeper thoughts, to think deeply about the world in which we live, about your place in the kingdom? Have you not learned how to move beyond childish ideals? After we move out of childish, because children tend to think very much about themselves. What's in it for me? They tend to be church hoppers, right? They're very dependent. They don't really think long-term. They don't have the ability to think long-term. They're very short-term thinkers. What do I need today today? These are the kind of people that when they get up in the morning, on a Sunday morning, the first thing they think about is, what else do I have to do? What else do I have pressing on my schedule? What is pressing on me now? From children, we move on to a real difficult age for all of us, the adolescent phase, right? This is the people that say, whatever. There's this moment in our time as we grow up as adolescents where we're learning to become our own identity. We're becoming our own person. And we say, you're not gonna tell me what to do, church. Jesus isn't gonna tell me what to do. I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do for you. Do any of you have adolescents at home? Right? Were any of you ever adolescents yourselves? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. They become very self-conscious. They're afraid of how they look to other people. They're afraid to pray out in public. They may have been attending church for decades, but they don't want to pray. What if somebody, what if I looked silly? What if somebody made fun of me? Right? We have Bible studies. People don't want to go, what if they ask me to read? Do you know how to read? Yeah, but what if they ask me? I'd look really stupid. Because they're so, uh, so absorbed with how they look to other people. They tend to be indifferent. They tend to be aloof, right? I want to just kind of check you out. They're always on the, on the outskirts. They pop in, and then they pop out. I just want to check you out. I just want to know that I'm here. just want to see what's behind it. They're, they tend to hide behind a mask. They tend to be very critical of church, of church life, of the demands, of stewardship, of commitment. No, that's for other people. That's not for me. I don't need that. I know that you need it, but I know I don't need it. They tend to separate, and they stay aloof. They haven't quite grown beyond that. They take spiritual ownership. They're learning to become owners of their own faith, but they don't quite have it down. They haven't quite developed their own identity, and so they often get it from other people, other sources. They have moved on to what we call a stage of cynicism. You can't make me do that. I don't have to do that. Membership is for them, other people, it's not for me. I don't need that kind of thing. I'm gonna stay aloof, I'm gonna stay distant. I'm not gonna commit to anything and I'm not gonna commit to anybody. It's what we might call the dating stage. If you remember the dating stage, you're also just kind of checking somebody out. You're playing the field, I'm kind of with somebody but kind of not with somebody. I'm kind of in a different place. You can stay as an adolescent. The problem is you don't wanna stay there for the rest of your life because it's a miserable place to be. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, don't, be, don't look for shortcuts to God. He said, the market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that kind of stuff, even though crowds of people are doing it. The way to what life to God is vigorous and it requires total attention. If you have teenagers at home, Teenagers are really hard to get motivated to do anything because they know it all. The other thing that happens with teenagers that's really bad is they tend to think that they're immortal. I can do anything. I can take any risk because I'm a teenager. I'm going to live forever. They don't have the perspective of long-term. Now, for all of us, we know, most of you know, that there's this last, final stage that makes it all worthwhile. There's something that the children and the adolescents don't know, that you know, and it's called the adult stage. The adult stage, where you now are in love. Maybe you love somebody else, maybe you have children, and you find that by giving your heart away to somebody else, it isn't doubled, it's quadrupled, it's multiple times, it's a hundredfold. That by sacrificing yourself, by giving yourself to somebody else, to something bigger than yourself, your life is so much richer. They become self aware. The question that they're asking as an adult is saying, How do I love you more? Because as I love you more, as I sacrifice for my kids and for my family, I am a richer, I'm healthier. I'm more alive than ever. They tend to be more resilient. Adults have had from experience, they know the pain of experience. They know and they've learned wisdom. They know that life is filled with pain. But out of that pain, they can survive and they can persevere. They tend to be much more forgiving. They're sacrificial and they're disciplined because they have a long-term perspective. They know that there's more to this life than what you own and what you have. They tend to be a calming presence. Children are very dependent upon their parents. They need the church to nurture them. Feed me. Adolescents are independent. I don't need anybody. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. I'm fine. Adults are intradependent. They give themselves to somebody because they know that by sharing their lives, it's much richer. And so what happens is parents turn into servants. And I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, all parents learn to serve their kids because they know that they're raising a generation. They love to do it, but they also have learned how to balance it with a little bit of discipline. They know that they'll raise healthy children. They know that it's my life, my love, and my all. Jesus said in John chapter 15, Greater love has no one than this, and they lay down their life for their friends. You cannot have a deeper love for your family, for your, for your spouse, for, for the kids, for people in your life than to say, I would lay down my life for my kids, without, without question. And that makes you a rich, you, not that you've lost anything, but you now have something even richer in your life. So where does that take us? Let's talk about what that means practically, how this is actually lived out. If you look in your book, these are the pictures that are used. A child is gonna ask, what's in it for me? What does the church do for me? What's Jesus gonna do for me? And this is where people say, oh, Jesus will get you in heaven someday. If you accept Christ, you'll go to heaven someday. That's a very child-like-ish perspective. An adolescent say, how do I look to others? This is what's called Facebook spirituality. People will take pictures of what they're, they're eating and saying, hey, everybody, look at what I'm eating. Look at what I did today. Don't you just love me? Because I'm doing really amazing things. They're trying to get, they have a bunch of likes, a bunch of acquaintances, but very few deep, meaningful conversations. And of course, then adults, adults have learned sacrificial love, the love that just gives away. And says, if I can give to you, then it will elevate your life. So what does this look like in your relationship? If you have a child, a child enters into a relationship and said, I'm going to stay with you as long as you make me feel good about myself. If you're not making me feel good about myself, I'm moving on. Whether it's in a personal relationship, it's in a job, or it's in a church. An adolescent's going to say, do you like me? I'm going to try and, and, and be kind of aloof. I'm going to try and rise above it all. I'm gonna separate, and whenever that becomes too much, I'm gonna remain anonymous, can say on the outside, and if you need me, I'll decide whether I wanna be a part of you or not. But an adult is not, recognizes that love is not self-seeking. It doesn't demand on its own way, it gives itself in order to lift, lift the other person up. Many of you know that on Sunday morning at 7 in the morning, 7 a.m., church doesn't start till 8.15, there are people here at 7 a.m. praying for your pews because they love you that much. That's an adult. That's what they do. What about the church? How do people relate to the church? Are you fun to be with? Are you singing the hymns that I like? Is this the service that I like? Is it in the right time? I have people that come to me and say, if you move the time of the early service, then I might be willing to come. Okay, good for you. Or I'll have people that will come and say, you know, I haven't been in church for the last two months. Nobody's come look for me. Okay, that's because we're trying to teach you to take care of yourself a little bit, trying to rise up. Do you have a problem? No, I just want you to come look for me. Sometimes you have to become part of the solution and not just say, why isn't everybody feeding me? An adolescent is going to say, well, they like me. I'm afraid that if I come to church they're going to ask me to stand up and, and welcome as a visitor or take a stand or sign up for something. And so they stay distant. I don't want you to know who I am and I don't want you to get my information. A parent is somebody that said, let me be part of the hospitality team, part of the worship team. Let me get involved and add value to this place so that we become a true family. But finally, let me ask you about your relationship with God. See, a child is going to come when it comes to our prayer time. Have you ever noticed this? Let's talk about prayer time. Tell me what you're thankful for, what you want to praise God for. Can't think of anything. Tell me what you need. And we have this whole laundry list. Children will come out and say, this is exactly what I need. God, here's what I need. I'll tell you what I need when I need it. Right? Prayer is about your concerns. An adolescent will kind of go, I don't need to pray. It doesn't work anyway. God didn't give me what I want. I'll pray whenever there's a crisis or there's an emergency at no other time. God, you stay there, I'll stay here, and we'll separate. An adult starts by saying, God, what's on your heart? I know that I have a loving God, and I know that when I enter into prayer, it's like a warm embrace, and I need that. I need that for God, I want to share that with God, and I want to give Him my very best. So let me ask you, just, you know, as, as we wind up here, where would you say your spirituality is, your discipleship? Are you stuck in the childish phase, saying, God, here's what I want. The reason I'm here this morning is I need something. I need to feel good about myself. I need your protection. I need your prayers. I need something from God. As an adolescent, you're kind of going, I'm just going to check it out. I'm going to look, see who's here, see who's not here. You know, maybe I'll make a comment on Facebook about what's happening. Or maybe you're an adult saying, I need to start learning some people's names so that I can welcome them and make them feel loved. I want to tell you two stories, and then I promise I'll shut up. A father is out on a hot summer day, and he's out mowing his grass. And as he's mowing his grass, his little girl up in the second story Of their house sees dad out there sweating and working really hard and so she gets this flow of compassion and she runs downstairs she grabs a cup of water off of the sink she fills it full of warm tap water she runs out to dad she said here dad I thought of you and I want you to have this and the dad is just going this this is great it's my little girl she's thinking about me she did something nice now what you don't know is that dad that what she did is she grabbed an old jelly jar And she hands this warm glass of water to dad. There's little chunks of jelly and dirt floating around, and it's kind of nasty. But he loves that his daughter gave it a shot, right? That that she thought of him, that that she's beginning to awaken those moments of gratitude, right? And he's going, "This this this is awesome. Same story. Father is out mowing the grass. It's a hot summer day. His daughter's up in the second-story window, sees her dad down there, runs downstairs, grabs the jelly jar off of the sink, fills it full of warm tap water, and she goes out and says, here, dad, I got you a glass of water. And he looks at her and said, but now the difference is this daughter, she's 40 years old. She's 50, 60, 70, 80. And she said, here, daddy, I got you a glass of water. Really? After all, the, after all this time, this is all the farther you've gotten. What's wrong with you? Is that all the more you think of me? Wouldn't you say that if your child came out and they were 40 and said, "Here, Daddy, I got you this jelly jar. I didn't know what else. Really, that's as good as it gets." Here's the sad part: is if there were, if we're in our 50s, 60s, 70s, 40s, 30s, whatever and we're still thinking at that childish stage, we're still drinking in the milk, and we haven't moved beyond that, that's sad. What we want to do is we want to challenge you. We want to invite you to go deeper, to leave the childish things behind, the adolescent things behind, and experience the wonder of really giving your heart away to something beyond yourself, to rise up and experience the challenge of church as the summit, exploring the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about why this is necessary. And at the end, before Easter, we're going to talk about how you can practically go from here to there. Let us pray. Father God, hear our prayers. For the challenges to rise above the noise and confusion and to become more than we ever dreamt or imagined, help us, Father, to experience you anew. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.